1: To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
3: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. (laughs) Crime Writers on is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and on this episode, the body of a girl missing since 1984 turns up in Colorado. Had her killer been trying to confess for the past four decades? We'll talk about season two of the Amazon Music exclusive podcast, Suspect. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, this is the portion of the podcast where I do small talk with you. Oh,
4: great. Do we have special music for it? No? (laughs) I don't hear it. I don't hear it. Okay, I guess- Is there anything
3: you'd like to discuss? No, move along. All right. Also (laughs) with us is private investigator, resident cat lady, certified pet detective, and author of the best-selling Piper Green series of Cozy Mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura.
5: Hello, Rebecca. I can make some small talk about my cats if you'd like. No, but (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say as of the day of this recording,
3: uh, tomorrow morning, the show is coming out where you and I have both begged our respective audiences to improve our ratings on our respective platforms. Yes. So as of tomorrow, I am hoping that that one nasty review of your books on Goodreads is like eradicated.
5: And I hope you are no longer um, that British word that over there means, hey, how you doing? But over here means super offensive. Well, I
3: don't mind being, having the See You Next Tuesday review up there. I'm just hoping it's pushed down of yes. so thank you so much for coming through for us i believe that you have by this point that you're listening to this and um if you haven't uh please go to the crime writers on reviews and uh, leave something to push down the rebecca lavoy's see you next tuesday and go to goodreads And leave Laura a nice review if you think that she's nice and you don't want people to think she's an amateur.
4: Five stars on Spotify helps out, too, by the way.
3: We'd really, really appreciate it. And finally with us is our less thirsty resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host. Toby Ball, hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, what I, I talk about your cats? Because I would love to hear a cat story.
4: Are your new dog?
3: No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to hear a cat story. How's your dog, Toby?
6: <laughs> he's, he's hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't run away yet. No, not yet. Turns out I'm fairly allergic to him. That's a downside. Oh, oh no.
5: So what's what are you having to do for that, Toby? I'm just
6: I'm just wrapping him up in garbage bags.
3: Oh no. No, I are don't, you I don't just being, like uh, neti potting all the time?
6: Uh, yeah, we,
4: we don't have to go into a big discussion about
6: this.
5: Uh,
4: <laughs> if there's one thing this podcast needs, it's Toby Ball sniffing more.
3: <laughs> yeah. So Toby, are still in the phase of like having people having to get up in the middle of the night to take him out? Are uh, you guys no. still in that no, phase? He's, he's, okay. he's all good. He's yeah. house trained already? That's crazy.
6: Yeah, well, he's, all, he's like eight months. Mm.
3: Oh, he's not like a tiny wonderful. little puppy.
6: He's like a 40 like pound dog.
3: That's good to know. Because when you, when you get a puppy, there's a lot of waking up in
5: the middle of the night. Yeah. That is I mean, there's
6: waking up lame. in the middle of the night. But it has nothing to do with him.
5: Gotcha. There's waking up in the middle of the night for my cats who should know better. And they like come and walk around and stomp on my head and Don't stuff. Don't try so. and
6: wedge your little cat stories into my monologue. <laughs> <laughs> cats, 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 cats. If only, you know
5: what, Toby? Maybe what you need for your new dog, Romeo. Has a cat hat made out of cat hair? <laughs>
6: yeah, it's, I mean maybe. That's
5: what Toby needs is more hair. In his need, life. Yeah, need, he's uh, not allergic
3: to cat hair. He's got three cats. Do you know if Toby's allergic to dogs, that means he's also allergic to horses?
5: you know that? Oh, no. We don't have any
6: horses, so it's hard for so me to So you know. can't you come know? to
5: my middle-aged ladies synchronized riding team performance. Generally, speaking, <laughs> generally
3: speaking, there's a crossover there. Yeah. It may not 100% be true, but it often is. I
6: think Rebecca so. was giving me an out to go to the middle-aged middle li- ladies riding program. Yes. <laughs> mm, but
3: true. I also have, I have hair dogs, Toby, so maybe you can come to my house and you'll be all right. We'll see. <laughs> and by that's the like way, for the record... I did try to convince your family to get a hair dog, did I not? <laughs> yeah. I like, okay.
6: Yeah. I mean, whatever.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have to revisit this in the future. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously a Thursday's podcast.
4: You just punched me in the thigh. No,
3: I, I meant to touch you on the thigh I know, lovingly. But
4: you know how, like, there's, like, that, that nerve, the, the funny bone nerve? No. Like, it extends up here. Like, you hit it, like, you. I think. Re- it like did a funny don't thing my leg. Don't try to wedge your
3: funny bone nerve I story I just kind of this feel this like if Becky
6: had done that to Giancarlo the first time they met at the uh, Days Inn, maybe <laughs> <laughs> things could have turned out
4: a lot differently.
6: That's Coing.
3: right. Go back to the last podcast to understand the reference. I don't know. I, it kind of feels like a reflex
4: did happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, there's that. Kevin. Yeah.
3: What the fuck is coming up on next Monday show? Uh,
4: well, we're going to be talking about a podcast from the L.A.S. It's called Imperfect Paradise. We're looking at uh, the latest season, and that is called The Sheriff.
3: The L.A.S. You know, that's a public radio podcast.
4: Yes, yeah. it's Imperfect Paradise, The Sheriff.
3: I've never heard of that. I'm going to write it down.
4: We've heard of The Sheriff on numerous
6: different things. Okay. What was the one about the guy in uh, It's not La Jolla? The killer who did the rap songs? And the woman from New Yorker did the podcast about him. Do
4: you have any fucking idea what I'm talking about? Nope, this is like one of those contests that we play in the nope. after you're like right. what was that thing It had the somebody and a sheriff It was that thing where there was a where,
6: where a couple and their kid were murdered in a campground. The police didn't tell anybody, and it turned out it was this guy who was camping out behind a uh, convenience store and they found like this crazy rap album that he'd made when he was in l a and it was all reported by a um, a journalist from the New Yorker. Does
3: this even sound a little bit familiar to you, Kevin?
6: Was this a podcast? This is a podcast. Yeah. It was called, it was like California history type podcast. And then I remember this. Oh, were you thinking of a Lost Hills? Lost Hills. Yeah. The first
4: season. Yeah.
6: And so they talk, remember how there's a whole thing about the sheriff? Oh, yeah. This, yeah. This and sheriff. Malibu
4: Lara Bricker, who's the gadfly reporter there. Yeah, yeah, was yeah, all yeah,
3: like, yeah yeah. Ah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking yeah,
6: about. Yeah. Keep no, all yes. this in, Livy. This is excellent.
3: I, I don't remember lost hills being about that at all i just remember lost hills being about malibu and how like sunny and murdery it yeah was yeah that. yeah
6: but well, that was yeah. the, that was the thing it's like it's got this i i thought it was a Hoya, malibu that's got this like image of being this so then when the like dark shit happens they don't want to let anybody know about it so
3: ah and then and then i was like thumbs down <laughs> yeah i can't okay. remember all right whatever yeah all right. Well, thank you for reminding us of this past review, Toby. I will have to go back and remind myself about the first season of uh, Lost Hills because I don't remember that much at all. Anyway, it goes to show I'm not qualified to do this job. That being said, Are let's go ahead and do really... this job. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we, Kevin? Kevin do, it. do We have it. a discussion to do. So we do should, it. Let's go ahead and drop that first do clip. It. Let's drop that first clip right now.
4: I think I had called maybe one, one or two of her friends and didn't get an answer at one and talked to another and they didn't know anything about Janelle. And that's when I, in that time frame, I decided to call the police.
3: Janelle Matthews vanished after her school Christmas recital in 1984. Colorado investigators had no leads until a detective homed in on Janelle's neighbor, a man said to have a fixation on young girls. Stating that he's providing information
4: that hadn't even been released to the news yet. And he said that he was on
3: scene at the time the investigation was going on and that he had been interviewed by police. Well, no such thing had occurred. The case remained cold for decades until Janelle's body was discovered. Then police got a tip about another man in the girl's orbit, a true crime fan who for years said he had information but was continually ignored by police.
5: I turn around and I said, you're going to be arrested for obstructing if you don't get back in your car. And he says, don't fuck with me, Officer Edgerton. I've buried more people
3: than you'll know. Season two of Campside Media's Suspect, Vanished in the Snow, is currently on Amazon Music and Wondery Plus and is scheduled for broad release next year. Host Ashley Fonts examines the case and several of those suspected of the crime, The six-part series also covers the murder trial of the man police say did the crime. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Suspect Season 2, significant plot points. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Kevin, you think this podcast is worthy of the suspect brand. That's your first note here. Why do you say that?
4: Well, it's very well done. Its focus tends to be a little bit more on the suspects, right, and not that it's unique to this particular brand, but they're staying true to what they're they're saying their name is. I think that the host is really great storytelling chops and while you know it's not breaking news with any kind of investigation like that. It presents the story in a very captivating way. Each of the suspects seems strong in their own way, so hearing about them is always very intriguing and you know, while it's not a secret to say who they eventually arrested and went on trial, they build that mystery very well. Because I, I wasn't crazy about the, the music from the black tapes, but...
3: Stop <laughs> it. It is the same composer. It's like, we talked about this when I Suspect know. Season 1 came out. So <laughs> the, 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 the scorer who, did, who does the music for Suspect Season 1 is the same scorer who did the music for Tannis and black tapes. We yeah. talked about this already. I actually love it. I love it. It almost sounds like old-timey silent film. Like the scoring goes with the composition. It sounds like a package of music, not just like random Blue Dot Sessions beds dropped in.
6: You know what it sounds like? What? Tannis.
3: Yes.
4: Because
6: <laughs> that's the
3: same scorer. Because Tannis and Black Tapes were from the same production company, and that's the same scorer that did the scoring for these, these things. Right. I remember tweeting about... How much the score for Suspect Season 1 sounded like it. And Paul Bay was like, oh, yeah, that's because it's so and so. And I was like, well, of course it is. But yeah, no, the scoring is great. The scoring is great. And stop saying it shouldn't sound like it because it just, no one cares except for us because we listen to everything. Of course, I can't remember what Lost Hill Season 1 was about, but I do remember. I feel it. like
4: we're having a hard time staying focused today. <laughs>
3: We absolutely are. So Toby, one of the details of the case that you picked up on right away was that after Janelle disappeared, her father called his pastor before he called police. And of course, this ends up becoming an important detail that puts her father in the frame for having committed the crime. You put a big question mark after this, and I'm curious to know why that stuck out to you.
6: I think it's actually does a good job of setting up sort of the short term and the long term aspects of this podcast. And part of it is just because you're like, oh man. So you're like automatically sort of setting the scene. It's like, okay, this is a family that's so religious that when their daughter disappears, they're going to wait until they can talk to their pastor before they even call the cops. Like that to me seems nuts, but it also seems like a pretty quick shorthand to some of the dynamics within this family, right? Like what some of those families' values are. And I think as far as the long-term goes, like when you get to the end, the church ends up being... And particularly, I guess, the church that this pastor was a part of becomes a big part of what they sort of theorize is the motive behind the crime. So I thought it was an interesting little detail, but which plays out in a bunch of different ways as the thing goes on, whether it was intentional or not. I thought it was really smart. And when you look back on it afterwards, you're like, oh, wow. Like that's the kind of thing like in a novel, you'd be like, oh, that was genius to put that there. And I thought it worked the same way here.
4: I'm kind of two minds about that, Toby, only in the sense, you know, obviously the father would naturally be a suspect. Obviously, when you're telling a narrative, you kind of want to leave that red herring out there for a little bit. But when they interview Janelle's friend's mother, I get the, well, why would he do that? Why would he do that? But that interview likely happened after the arrest of Panky. And so does this friend of a friend still suspect Jim is the killer?
1: Donna still feels the same way. To this day, there are so many questions she can't answer. My only hope and prayer is that the right person is convicted of this crime and they find the right person.
4: I'm not sure it's fair to either the dad or this woman in this particular case, you know, to just kind of leave it like, yeah, well, there's still some questions about that. Right. I don't know if that's fair to dad.
3: I think yeah. at the end of the podcast that we're, we're told that the town still does have questions about dad and he's fine with it because he knows he didn't do it. Like, that's what they say at the end of the podcast. Like, he's like, I know I didn't do it and I'm OK with the fact that people think I did because I know I didn't.
5: Well, he even said that when he was talking about the police investigating him. And I, I felt for him. I mean, I know you you have to invest. I mean, you know, I don't want to say it's always investigating one of the parents, but you, you start, you know, in a lot of cases doing that. But, you know, he even agreed to take a lie detector test. And then he was told he failed the lie detector test. And he's like, you know what? I told you everything. Like, I'm not lying. But he also was like, I didn't do it. And I know you have to do this as part of the process. So Kudos to him for being able to take that approach because I don't know a lot of people that could do that if they were put in that position and put under that lens and under that suspicion.
3: Yeah, I will say the podcast didn't go down roads that like a less responsible podcast would have gone down with him. Like one question that I had that um, I didn't have the question because I think that the journalism didn't assume that he should have been in the frame for reasons he shouldn't have been. But I think a less responsible reporter would have been like why did the parents move right it is unusual by the way i don't know if it's actually statistically unusual but you hear it's unusual that parents of a missing kid move when the kid goes missing and these parents did move uh we hear they moved around a lot and after left the country yeah, yeah. yeah but that was that wasn't like is it suspicious that they moved and i like it that they didn't do that because also another reason they could have moved would have been like the whole town thought he was a fucking murderer
4: Maybe it was painful to live in the house exactly. where you think your daughter was
6: abducted and, from. And very yeah.
3: likely was murdered. I mean, I think that they had a, they were here, they had a memorial service for her so that they know she was very likely murdered, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Right. I, the only reason to stay, right, is that you, you're worried that if you don't stay, she's going to show up on your doorstep one day and it's going to be strangers. And that's, that's the opportunity missed.
3: Right. So, Laura, you think that this podcast is done in a very chronological way and you appreciated that?
5: Yeah. No, I think that going into this, they definitely lay out, you know, here's how she went missing. And to me, that rang so familiar to a lot of missing children cases in that same era in history where like the kid was supposed to be somewhere and then they were home and all of a sudden, poof. And in this case, you know, she was at the concert and then she came home and gets a ride home with a friend and then takes a phone call, takes whatever. When her dad comes home, the garage doors open, no one's there. And then we have the infamous footprints in the snow, which I thought was also very interesting. You know, it makes for a good title for the podcast, but later in this story, when we start to hear more about Mr. Hanky Panky, it definitely is one of those details that only certain people would know about. So I like the chronological order. It was very, very thorough. You know, I, I definitely had a very clear picture of everything that happened, at times, I wanted a little bit more suspense in that chronological order that I didn't feel like it had in the way that the story was told.
3: So, Kevin, I want to take a quick break. Okay. And do the business section of the podcast. Okay. What have you got on our Patreon right now?
4: Well, on our Patreon right now, you go, well, you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Okay. And you can sign up for more than 325 exclusive podcasts. They include the Crime Writers on After Show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Leave It to Bricker, and coming out this week, the latest episode of Married With Podcast. All right. Which you and I, a married couple. Dispense advice on things like marriage. Parenting.
3: Relationships.
4: Other things. Work. We, 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 this is like it's not pets. really
3: Pets. Uh how to sex? properly fold the laundry. No,
4: oh, was that know.
5: Laura? Sex? Oh yeah, Didn't we you, do you, talk about you've sex. talked yeah. about sex sometimes. We talk,
4: yeah, people have sex questions all the time. Yep. Yep. I said get a pool boy. Yep. Uh <laughs> You actually can go back if you haven't uh, signed up already. You can always get stuff that we've recently done. Like on the Crime Writers on After Show, we talked to the folks from Bone Valley. How about we play a little clip right here? He wrote me a letter about a month ago, or no, a couple months ago. And it was a really dark little email that I got from him. And it
6: basically said Dear Mr. King, I'm fine with everything you're doing with this story. And, um, I don't hold anything against you. I just want to let you know, I'm not going to be writing to you anymore. The monster in me is coming out again and I'm going to be locked away for a long time. Mm. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And then sure enough, he got locked away into solitary confinement again, um, in, in August. And I called the DOC and I found out that he, um, you know, there was an altercation with another prisoner and he, had a knife on him. So, you know, he, something happened there. I don't even know what happened yet, but he's back in solitary. He can't be, you know, really interviewed. So I don't know what it is with him. He's, you know, he's just just a broken
3: person. I mean, he, he was broken by adults in his life. I think one of the reasons probably why listeners want to like help him in some ways, because we hear Leo has so much support in his life. Yeah. And he has none. He's got nothing. And there is something very like just deeply sad about that even though he's like violent and scary at the same time. All right, so Kevin, uh, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
4: Our Patreon patron saints are Jamie Monjian and Ida Namer.
0: Bless, Bless you. Bless you.
3: So, Kevin, we have this suspect, Panky, who comes into the frame a little bit later, mm-hmm. and he is one of these guys who keeps inserting himself into the story, right, where yeah. he's like approaching people and saying, I have information apropos of nothing, but only if you give me a deal will I share that information with you. And at one point, he actually approaches a prosecutor in a different jurisdiction and she doesn't do anything with it. And I have, an, I have an interview with her on the podcast, and she talks about that. What do you think about that? Jennifer was an elected government official in rural Idaho. Why was Panky
2: coming to her? I really didn't want to get involved. It really, you know, it was not in my jurisdiction. He was not my client. My ability to, to be involved was pretty limited.
4: I cannot believe... <laughs> that you would be like, yeah, let me go on a podcast and I'll tell you about how I let a killer just walk away. I get that it isn't her jurisdiction, but she was like, I was too busy to look at Panky. Same thing with the cops when they, uh, they get the letter from Panky's ex-wife, ex-wife, wife, ex-wife.
3: Especially that they're reporting this now. Yeah. Like it's wild that they would be very comfortable to be giving these interviews to me.
4: Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that Ashley did is she pulled this really great comparison to the story in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Panky is clearly being eaten inside by his actions. But unlike Raskolnikov, I think Panky was motivated not by guilt, but more about a desire to avoid the consequences of what he did. So he it, it was never like, like, I'll tell you, but I want an immunity deal. I will tell you, but don't, you know, it wasn't like I need to repent. It was just like, I need to find a way out of this.
3: What do you think, Toby? Because... I have mixed feelings about a person who always wants to insert themselves into a story like there are people who do that in the world who have nothing to do with the case, but who do have a fixation on a story. And some would say that the other guy in the case, Norris Drake, some might say, I think there's a decent case to be made that the fact that he also, by the way, his mom sort of put him at the scene. He had other Young girls who said that he was problematic, harassed them, assaulted them, that he allegedly knew about the raked footprints. I think he's a very strong suspect for the case as well, and that he was in the police's frame, immediately lawyered up. And that's the only reason why they didn't pursue him further.
4: And Jay knew where the car was.
3: Right. But there are other reasons why people continually insert themselves into cases. And my only reasonable doubt in this is... Is that if you hate these people so much as Panky did, and if you're obsessed with these people so much as Panky was, and if you're as much of a narcissist or whatever as Panky clearly is, isn't it as likely you could just be obsessed with the Janelle Matthews case as it is that you may have murdered Janelle Matthews? Like I found myself wondering that as well.
6: It's a good point. And I, I think a lot of like the weirdness that Panky does that they kind of cover, I think kind of supports that in a way because I mean, he's irrational. <laughs> he's like, he runs for governor on the Constitution Party ticket. <laughs> Look, I've talked to a lot of people who uh, were like candidates in the Constitution Party. And uh, to wig those. find a lot. Like.
3: And why? Seven or eight. That's a side story, but why?
6: When I was working at Congressional Quarterly, uh, ah, we were covering okay. every single candidate for federal office, which included some Constitution Party guys. Yeah, so being able to, like, really freak those guys out takes some doing. My desire is is for local control, local responsibility. My reason for running for governor is to protect your God-given inalienable, inalienable rights. Public safety is my passion. Public safety is my mission. He does seem, like, kind of erratic and obsessive. I mean, it's interesting because it, it seems like the key... Or one of the key things is a story that he tells about letting a cop suffer. Then it's like, okay, well, there's an analogy that can be made with Janelle and that she was part of an organization that he didn't like. So he got his revenge on her as a symbol, just like this cop.
3: But that that story was clearly a fantasy, which means that the Janelle thing could also have been a fantasy. Right. No,
6: I mean, I think it's a tough thing to like, again, we're listening to a podcast. We're not getting the full picture of all the evidence that was there but it's it's a tough one to to like put a guy away for that period of time on
1: mm.
6: he's a he said he was a true crime guy but the only person he looks up is this one person it's like well there's a lot of people who obsess over one crime like how many podcasts are there that focus on like missing mara murray like
3: right Right.
6: (laughs) They're not responsible for her death. You know, they're just interested in it. So,
3: well, Laura, we have to talk about the fact that this was his defense, that he was a true crime junkie. And that in fact, he did go on a true crime podcast to talk about it like kind of bananas. And that, that this, this case, which happened so long ago would stretch into the true crime podcast era and that would become his defense in court. Not long after
1: his condo is tossed by the police, Panky invites himself on a true crime podcast called Unfound, which is devoted to missing persons cases. He tells the host Ed Denzel that he's such a fan of Unfound that he recently became a Patreon supporter of the program.
5: It's it's almost like a parody that you might see on some show that we watch on Netflix that we review for the show. Like, or like
3: Law and Order, for real. Yeah, I was thinking about this could uh, be an yeah. SVU plot, for real. Yeah,
5: absolutely. Because it's like, I told the FBI, I want to talk to you. It may or may not have something to do with the Janelle Matthews case. Like, I mean, he sounds like when we see the people that were the podcast fans on Only Murders in the Building, like he could be like one of those people in the murder world. You know what I mean? Like where he's just always there. So you know, I think that is an interesting defense. I don't really have uh, honestly. When I came to the end of this, I'm like, okay, so he is convicted now. But I, I'm just, I'm still like, is he just this guy who's just a little bit not well? Well, a lot not a well, lot not well. I mean, he he was abusive. He's <laughs> yeah. abusive. He obviously has yeah, but. You know, hey, I got to give it to you. That's the first time I've heard that defense being used. And I've heard a lot of defenses that are like a bit of a stretch. So there are episodes where it does seem like he has some paranoia going on. He's telling the newspaper he thinks he's being targeted by the police and framed because of his sexuality, because he identifies as a celibate homosexual. There's a lot to unpack with Mr. Pankey in terms of all of the things he says. And I think part of that, when you start to like make a list of everything that he says is like. How do you even know what is true here in his world? And like, how do you even know what to believe? Because he says so many things that just sound so far out there. When they said
4: he was a fan of true crime podcasts, one in particular, I was like, please, God, no, not us. You told me he's thinking the same thing, please. God. And then when they said he was on Patreon, I was like, oh, fuck me. Really? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but then he ran for sheriff so that like, he could find out what's going on in the case. It just, just ridiculous.
3: Yeah, it was pretty wild. Kevin, what do you think of the fact that they put him on the stand in his trial? Would you put that guy on the stand in a million years?
4: Whoa! Well, I don't know. I don't know if I would. Uh, i I think. Would you
3: put him on the stand in his second
5: trial after hearing how he performed his first? No, time.
4: I wouldn't put him on the stand in the second trial. Yeah,
5: I can see why they put him on the stand. Why? Well, because I can see how you're listening to him and you're thinking you can have the prosecution talking about he did this, he said that, he said this. And then when you actually hear from him himself and you can kind of see his mannerisms and his delivery and maybe that he's not quite there, then the defense of I'm just a true crime junkie seems a little more plausible because like when you hear this guy talk and you see him in person, it's like, yeah, no. Mm-mm. Yeah.
3: Well, I know that Norris Drake was brought up in his defense, and I am a little frustrated that we don't get more of that in the podcast because I just know there is no more to get because the police couldn't get any more. So, therefore, we can't get any more. Uh, and that's really tough. But the one thing that we do get in the podcast is we get a lot about Panky's ex wife who went to extremes to bring him to authorities because she was a victim of his abuse. And when we hear that she was, you know, doing house cleaning and that she was sneaking evidence out of their house and bringing it to her client's houses, using her client's landlines to make telephone calls. Like, Laura, this woman, like, whether or not he committed this murder which obviously he spoiler alert we do find out he was convicted of at the very end of the podcast in this little bonus episode but um she is a hero for escaping this abusive situation and really doing her darndest to try to bring evidence to the cops even though all the cards are stacked against her and like nothing happens when she actually does so
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's one of those situations where the power dynamic is such that it's really hard for her to leave that situation. And when she comes forward with this information and talks about this trip they took, and it was right after Janelle's disappearance, and it was a surprise trip. And she kind of discredits a lot of what he said with her account of what happened around the time that Janelle went missing. And, you know, how he was, even then, listening to the radio, listening to the radio, listening for news of the disappearance, and that he wanted her to read him newspaper articles.
0: In my flipping around came to a portion of a news report that had indicated that a girl had gone missing from Greeley, Colorado. And he wanted to hear that. And then he wanted me to keep flipping the channels to see if I could find any more news about that.
5: She did provide a lot of really important information, but the fact that she was able to provide that information after having gone through what she went through with him is pretty freaking amazing that she was able to find that within herself to not only get out of the situation, but then to come forward with information that was basically impeaching his version of events.
3: So Toby, we ended up having a hung jury in the first trial. And we have a hung jury for a couple of reasons. One is that there's a guy who really has a different interpretation of reasonable doubt, I think, than some of us might have. And then we hear from a juror who says that one of the other jurors said that they blame the prosecutor for bringing them in such an unprepared and like unfinished case. And she's like, I'm offended by that because they told us what we were getting into and we all agreed we would be okay with a circumstantial case and could make a decision based on circumstantial evidence. And so we shouldn't be complaining that they're, quote, unprepared. What did you think about what we heard when it came to these jury dynamics? Because we kind of rarely, I mean, I I almost, I wish we could have heard from a juror who was a a not guilty person, another side. I mean, I I think it was fairly represented, but I really wish we could have heard from one of those people. However, it was interesting to hear about those dynamics. And I'm curious to know what you thought about that.
6: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things. I thought that was one of the the false notes or it's not really false note, but a little piece that I wasn't a hundred percent comfortable with is that they like kind of make fun of that guy, right? At the beginning, they're like, he was telling everybody that he was an academic or something. He wasn't shy about telling everybody he was an academic. So they kind of set him up as being this kind of high flute and look down your nose at people type of guy. I thought he was the one who said that he thought that they brought forth a sloppy case, but I, I could be wrong. Like that to me seems like a legitimate complaint, right? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. deciding if somebody's going to jail for a hell of a long time and the prosecutor comes up and he's in his case isn't together. Yeah. I mean, that would affect the way I would feel about how I was voting. I certainly wouldn't be offended. Like just because the guy says like, well, it's going to be a lot of circumstantial stuff and it's been a long time. So, you know, bear with us. It's like, do you really get that benefit of the doubt?
3: Both things can be true, right? Right. It, it can be circumstantial and you can still think there wasn't enough. Right, Both things can be true.
6: So when she was like, I was offended, I was like, I, I don't think you get to be offended by the way people, like when you're on a jury, the prosecution presents their case, the defense presents their case. And if you think one of them's sloppy, that's going to affect how you take a look at the case. Like that shouldn't be considered offensive. I mean, that's just part of the way it is.
3: So I have a question for you, Kevin. Yeah. Were you surprised as I was to hear the cops from Greeley go to interview Panky and talk about how they think the cops back in the 80s did just a shitty job investigating this case? Not wrong. (laughs) I was surprised to hear that.
4: Yeah. I mean, they may be embellishing or whatever. They're certainly trying to work him to get him to, like, come on outside and talk to me. I can't say that the guys from 1984 were incompetent. They certainly didn't get the job done and they perhaps were looking in the wrong place early on. But, you know, some of that is hindsight. But, you know, there were a lot of times that Stephen Pankey could have been identified as a serious suspect because he certainly was letting people know that he ought to be looked at as a suspect. And it didn't come up.
0: Hmm. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing.
3: Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Suspect Season 2? Right now, it's on Amazon Music. And next year, it will be available on all of the apps. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Suspect Season 2?
5: Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up. This was an interesting case. It provided an extremely detailed look at the case with all of the players, the suspects. And I have to say, I did enjoy having it on Amazon Music because. I listened in my car. I listened on my phone, and when I was making dinner, I said Alexa, and now Alexa's going to do it. Play Suspect season two, and then Alexa would do it for me and pick up at the same spot I was listening in my car. It was amazing. So, uh, if nothing else, the convenience. I see Alexa in the
4: background. Alexa's already. Still-
5: <laughs> Alexa's like lighting up there. Oh no, Alexa. <laughs> I will say,
3: Alexa, I, add cucumbers to my shopping a list. Little, a little plug for the Amazon Music Podcast app. It is a baller app. I have it. And it, by the way, it's just an app where you can listen to podcasts. And if you're a subscriber like I am, you can get the ad free version. The podcast interface on Amazon Music is actually quite good. I don't listen to most of my podcasts there, but whenever I do, I'm actually really impressed with the interface. It goes from device to device really well. The sound quality on the Amazon Music app is fantastic. And I usually compliment Spotify for this, but I think the sound quality on the Amazon Music app is better. So anyway, just a little plug for that app. Highly recommend.
5: Yeah. And uh, I lost, well, I lost my AirPods while I was moving. I still have not found where they landed. So I was pretty happy to be able to listen to this on the Alexa as I was like cooking and cleaning and doing other things. So, um, but also I just thought this was a really interesting story with good reporting and good storytelling. And it was, it was interesting.
3: Tell you about what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for suspect season two.
5: Yeah, I give it
6: a a good thumbs up. It's well reported. It's got interesting interviews. I think, you know, the suspects that they look into, they, they do a good job of sort of showing you who they are. And uh, I found their stories to be pretty compelling. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, it, it just seems super solid to me.
3: Kevin Flynn.
4: A thumbs up, a very traditional True Crime Podcast, I thought that the storytelling was very, very good. I was, you know, left in suspense from episode to episode. You know, if there's a weakness, it might be, you know, the trial episode where it's necessary to kind of wrap stuff up. But by this point, what happens in all true crime stories is this is where it kind of slows down. But they still stick the landing. And, you know, Suspect Season 3 ought to be just as good.
3: Um, Yeah, I like this podcast, too. Thumbs up for me. Huge shoes to fill for me for Suspect, obviously. If I have a complaint, it is that I actually would have liked more time taken on a couple of things that I actually think are important to the story. One is, and this isn't a huge spoiler, it comes up in Episode 1, the church aspect of this family's life. I think it's actually very important more exploration of sort of how important a place religion kind of has in the story, I think would have been an interesting avenue to explore. I think that there may have been a sort of more weight put on one outcome of this story, which was the ultimate outcome. But I actually think that there's an interesting story to be explored with an alternative suspect that I would like to know more about. But maybe that's just me. Um, So I
4: think it's just you.
3: I don't think it's just me, but it is me. Um, So, yeah, I really like this podcast. I recommend it. I give it a thumbs up. And I would actually like to talk some more about it to other people who've listened to it to see what they think. I think it actually would be a good like book club discussion podcast to sort of like continue talking about. So, yeah, thumbs up for me for Suspect season two. And I cannot wait for season three. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week?
5: Oh, Rebecca, it is the season of dressing up your pets and costumes. I uh, have a new assignment at work this week. I have to dress up my cats for a photo shoot for the magazine I work for now for the holidays. My friend Jen has a little top hat, so I'm thinking one of them is going to be Scrooge. So I was very excited when Jennifer, I don't know her last name, Send in her hamster, or excuse me, guinea pig, two guinea pigs in their Halloween costumes. One is a pirate. One is an octopus. There is like a backdrop. There is a palm tree. Looks like there's like a little pirate booty barrel on the side. Oh, wait, there's also a pirate ship in the background. I mean, this was quite a lot went into this costume. So you know what? Tis the season. Send me your pets in costumes for the holidays. I would gladly see an armadillo in a turkey suit I don't know anything send it my way so thank you Jennifer
3: an armadillo in a turkey suit I don't that know where would, that came from <laughs> that would be rough obviously any kind of animal could be sent to us to be cat of the week in our Facebook group or you can email them to us at crimewriterson@gmail.com. at gmail.com we get tons of animals that way. you can always hit Lara Bricker up on social media though Lara what is your handle on all the social media um, you can find me on Twitter at Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, what is your handle on your social media accounts if you would like to share that with the group?
6: On Twitter I'm at Toby Ball NH and at Mastodon, I'll do it right this time. It's at Toby Ball NH at MSTDN dot social.
3: Nice. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can people find you?
4: You can find me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn.
3: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or on Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show at Crime Writers On and please join our incredible. Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group I would like to welcome listener Joshua Eaton to our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group Joshua I didn't know you weren't there I was so glad to See you join this week we have a regular Old Facebook page go there hit join The group just we'll let you in if you ask A couple of questions and you answer them like a Regular person support the show At patreon.com slash partners In crime media you'll get the Crime Writers On after show you'll get married with podcast You'll get Laura Bricker's leave it to Bricker Podcast and you'll get Toby Ball Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is my vocal coach Kevin P Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement. Where we are eighty-seven percent sure none of our Patreon members are actually murderers. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. He was rescued by a trio of mermaids—actual mermaids.
4: He was rescued by a. Tri-
3: oh fuck! By the way, you farted, and it smells so no. bad in here.
4: No, no, no! <laughs> you guys I'm guessing your fartings. That was a burp. Yeah, that's why it was down here. I shot it like. Jesus what do you goodness. think is worse guys a fart that smells like a burp or a burp
6: that oh, smells like a fart? I can
3: tell you which one is worse. A fart that
6: smells like a fart 100%. 100%.
3: It's not even
6: worth talking about. <laughs>
4: okay. No it is worth talking about. Uh, well yeah that's true. What do you think sounds worse? Nope. A burp that sounds like a fart or a fart that sounds like a burp?
5: I think a fart that sounds like a burp. Okay. Yeah,
4: you think you shit your <laughs> pants if you heard it. All
5: yeah. right. <laughs>